In the following live session recording, Ray Jones, president and founder of Radiance Ministries, San Antonio, Texas, will talk about the principles of effective leadership. As founder and director of Radiance Ministries, Ray brings insights for today's leaders. This session is for pastors, ministers of music, and others in staff leadership positions. Ray brings relevant help dealing with change, conflict, depression, and spiritual development, all of which are vital to long-term survival in ministry. Let's join Ray now. Now, as you see, you're going to be, this is going to be an interactive, all right? So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the, th the three styles of leadership that I'm seeing currently in the church. Um, um, having been involved in church ministry for nearly 50 years, uh, I, I can tell you that I've, I've seen every kind of leader, and I've worked for every kind of leader, and I've been every kind of leader. Because, you know, <coughs> most of us are, especially if you're younger, you're, you're developing who you are as a leader. And so you're going to go through some phases, some, some things that, that, um, I, that are going to be um, sometimes good for you, sometimes bad for you, but you're, you've, got to, you've got to find out who you are in Christ and what He uses in you to uh, lead people. Um, oftentimes we, uh, we think about leadership in, in connection with we look at great churches and we say, obviously, because they're a big, great church, they are great leaders. But that's not necessarily true. And I will tell you, uh, uh, I left my church uh, in, in uh, 2018, April, and ever since then I've been traveling and doing this. I've been 243 dates since I left there. And I can tell you, what I'm observing is what I'm going to tell you about today. Because I think that there are some things we all need to reckon with. First of all, the attractional church model, which uh, a, a great deal of the mega churches are, uh, is not a sustainable model. And we're starting to see some of those major churches, they're beginning to decrease and they're panicking because they've never known anything to growth. And they're also, many of their leaders are, are, are either retiring or failing or are burning out. The church I was in, I was with the same pastor for 24 and a half years. He was the founding pastor. At age 58, he completely burned out and uh, retired, and which, is, which is a tragedy because he was a good one. He, he, he doesn't preach anywhere. He doesn't. He he is completely retired. And fortunately, he had enough financial resources to be able to do that. But the truth of the matter is, is that he burned out. And it was in in part by his own admission. Um, it was in part because he departed from the leadership characteristics that got him where he was. And so we've got to we've got to be careful to, to know that we can, as leaders, we can change if, if we don't intentionally stay with the principles that um, are sound and healthy for us. So if the attractional church model, and, and I'll just define attractional church as this: uh, attractional churches say 
we're going to make everything so good here that everybody's going to want to come to us. Okay. All right. It's it's all about look and feel and the worship. You got to be cool and hip and lights and smoke. It's amazed. The Holy Spirit ever came to a church service I was in that didn't have a smoke machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's all about presentation uh, from the time you drive on the parking lot until the time you leave. Uh, guest services are going to take care of you. Uh, they're heavily uh, staffed um, with high-level professionals. The reason that's not sustainable model is because churches try to emulate that that don't have the resources to do it it's going to be a fail the attractional church has set itself up to be in competition with entertainment and we're going to always lose that battle because we will never have the same amount of resources as the entertainment um, kingdom and so it's generally personality driven by extremely talented people. And when any church who doesn't have that level of talent tries to emulate that, what's going to happen is they are going to be sorely disappointed. So, can I ask a question on that? Yes. So, so did, would you say your observation is, is, is that the churches that do that well, they're declining, or churches who try to do that and that's not their skill set are the ones. The churches that do that well, some of them are still growing. But if their leader is coming to the end, or if there's a, a, a leadership failure, whether it be moral or ethical or whatever, um, I mean, Mars Hill, they shut down the whole church. I mean, there's, there's, there's four of the major churches that were in the top 10 that have had failure in the last six years. And um, Which goes back to what you're saying, more of a more of a leadership thing than maybe even a stylistic thing. It yes, yes and no. I think uh, I think attractional churches, uh, especially in worship are exclusive in who can be a part of, of worship instead of inclusive where every generation can be involved. We forget that every, every generation is in your room and when we, when we try to appeal to one generation, what happens is is we'll, we will attract some of that generation but we kind of leave behind a lot of the others. And so um, that's, I didn't really want to talk about that but that, that is what I'm observing. And so I go to those churches, and they have me in to talk, and that's like, I'll go talk. And so, but what I'm seeing is um, there's more of a an exclusive. You, you have to be an inner circle to do anything of high level leadership. It, 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 so it's not inclusive where you're trying to train up these high level leaders. And so missional is is the church that that, that I think is is the church that is sustainable, and that's because uh, the focus of missional churches is discipleship. We don't gather to impress, we gather to inspire, instruct, encourage, and send. And then the church becomes the church on mission, and they are touching the earth from that place. And um, 
So missional, I think, is sustainable, and it it accomplishes the main thing that Jesus said for us to do. The last two things Jesus said for us to do, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, is go make disciples. The last thing he said was, go be witnesses. So he said, disciple, and go be witnesses. I think he's intentional, right? I think he's really intentional because I think he never said anything out of order. The last two things he wanted you to hear. Go make disciples, then y'all go be witnesses. So, um, but that's, that is a good point about attraction. Now, I'm for attractional churches if they're preaching the gospel. I'm for anybody preaching the gospel. I, I, I think what you said there to me that there's too many people go and see something and then try to come back and emulate it. And try to be something they're not called to be or equipped to be. And I think that's always, I mean, always a struggle, I think. It is a struggle. And, but you were a, you were a discipleship pastor at one point, and you, you know what I'm saying about the mission. Sure. And uh, we, at, at one point in our church, we stopped counting how many were in, in the church service and started counting how many were in small groups. And that was our success measure. Yeah. And in my worship ministry, I had 1,500 people in my worship ministry. And we were training up hundreds of young worship leaders who are now all over the world leading in worship. And so it's messy to be missional. It's not nearly as clean, not nearly as impressive. But it is, um, it is sustainable. And what are we here for? So here's a t- the three types of leaders that, that I've observed. This is not an exhaustive list, and we can add to the list if you'd like, but I want to talk about these three leadership styles. And then uh, I'm going to end with a, an exhortation from Scripture that... Uh, the Lord put on me on, actually on Monday night of this week. The first kind of leader, uh, we're going to call that leader the autocratic leader. Or you can put in parenthesis the boss. Um, autocratic leaders can be very effective because for the most part they're, they're probably type A kind of people who are very forceful and very uh, strongly opinionated, and uh, most of the time high energy, high capacity people. And so, uh, but their leadership style is this. They project clearly what they want. They project clearly what the vision is. And they can grow the organization up to the level of their talent. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But when they top out, at their talent level, and there is a top for every one of them. There is a capacity for every one of them. Uh, what happens is people then begin to start questioning them. Anyone who questions them ends up outside of the organization at some level. That you, if you don't say or do, please come in the circle. I can't believe it. I'm sorry. I really There's one right here. I can get over there. Okay, here, sign that you got. Right in there. 
I'm sorry. Well, I'm no, 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 good. <laughs> Are you here to hear about leadership? Yes, sir. Good. Well, then, all right. <laughs> and as I said, good leaders are always on time to every meeting. <laughs> 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 that was just cold <laughs> So, autocratic leaders, what they do is they are very clear about what they want. Right? Anybody ever worked for an autocratic leader? Right? Okay. They are very clear about what they want. And uh, and some of them even are mean-spirited. Some of them are not. Some of them can be kind and cutting, but but they are they are they are going to get their way. You get on the train or you get run over by the train. And uh, and they can become very effective. In fact, when generally when they move into a church setting, like if they're a lead pastor or a worship leader, what they'll do within the context of their organization is immediately they will declare, this is what we're going to do. And within weeks, month, maybe months, otherwise, they'll say, and this is how we're going to do it. Now, that, that's, that's what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that, right? What happens is, though, is if anybody ever challenges them, then they... They uh, they end up throwing people out of their circle. My daddy used to say, autocratic leaders draw a circle. Everybody's in it, and one by one, he throws them out until there's more people on the outside than there are on the inside. And you see what happens at the end of autocratic leadership styles is it begins to it, it begins to fold in. And I will tell you that I have been all three of these styles. There have been times where uh, I came off like the boss. Um, we, we, we provided live worship at, at my last church for 23 services a week. Wow. Alright? I had 18 full-time people on my staff. And we were servicing, you know, an immense, and that doesn't count funerals and weddings and, you know, the, the stuff that, that happens. And so there were times where I would get up and I would just be barking orders at everybody in the room. You know, it's like, because we ain't got time to talk about it. Um, but, you know, I'd get through with that day and I'd, I'd, I'd you know, before I'd go to bed, I'd, I'd, I'd like be evaluating my day and praying and I'd go, man, I was a jerk today. And that's just not right. And so the next day, I'm up early and I'm going back one by one and apologizing <laughs> to the people that I barked at. But that's autocratic leadership. Autocratic leaders don't have time for a discussion. Because they know what they're doing. And they know how to do it. And if you want to be effective with them, you just never question them. You just become a total facilitator. Okay? And so, um, and I will tell you, autocratic leadership style is obvious all throughout Scripture. You can see it, especially when you study the kings, and you'll see, you'll see, you'll see, they, they're like that, and then all of a sudden they fall, or somebody kills them, or, you know, it's just like, mm, it's not good. Second kind of leader may be the most destructive leader in all of the kingdom. And that's the fearful leader. 
Let me tell you about the fearful leader. First of all, autocratic leaders are very insecure. That's the reason they have no room for discussion. They can't even entertain the fact that they could be wrong because they're insecure. Because all along, they're thinking, I could be wrong about this. Fearful leaders are very insecure leaders. And here's what a fearful leader will do. A fearful leader comes into an organization as the leader and they enunciate the vision and then they get everybody lined up to follow that vision and they start down the path of that vision and someone comes to them and says to them, this is a terrible mistake and you're going to destroy our church or you're going to destroy this ministry or you're going to destroy our choir. And the fearful leader then stops, turns back to the organization and says, everybody hold up. Uh, we're going this way now. And so they make a right turn. And so everybody goes, okay, all right. So they'll follow them that first turn. And they'll be going down that road of, of vision. And somebody will come to the leader and say, man, you're making a terrible mistake. And you're going to destroy this organization if you keep doing this. And the leader stops, turns to his people and goes, wait a minute. Y'all are all nodding your head. Because some of y'all are serving that person right now. <laughs> or some of you are that person right now. And they said, I, you know, we need to go this way. And they take another right turn. Well, about the third right turn that they made, they're right back to the place that they were at the beginning. And the people go, you're not a leader at all. You're not a leader at all. And they lose fellowship. <coughs> you need to remember this, that position is given, but leadership is earned. When you come into an organization, they may vote you in. Most Baptist churches vote people in. But you feel a sense of calling. You go. People vote you in. You're there. And you're that whatever leadership role you are. That the position is given. Leadership is earned. And I really believe it takes about three years for people to genuinely trust you. So if you're frustrated in the first two years of your ministry, the first three years of your ministry, don't be. Because you have got to help people get past the baggage of the past. I'm on my third year and you're exactly. Yep. Exactly. Right? And so you are a new pastor, and so they're going to question everything you think or say. So I feel like I paid for the mistakes of the guy before me. All of us didn't. <laughs> it's like one of those bad relationships to begin with. Right. I don't know if y'all feel that. It was new for me, and it took me forever to figure out why they wouldn't trust me. Yeah. But it's good now. Now I feel like it's working. Well, you've got change in your problem. Yeah. <laughs> you went to see Grandma in the hospital. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you did that. It's funny. Well, I, I went to a church in New Orleans. I was, I was in a, a church, uh, First Baptist Church, Kenner. I was 26 years old, okay, so I, I really was green. But um, I, I went to that church, and, and um, after the first, I, they voted me in. I came in, had my first choir rehearsal. We had about 120 in the choir. I thought, man, I'm doing a good job. It had nothing to do with me, but I, anyway, they were all there. And so, so this guy walks up to me, and, 
after a choir rehearsal, big old burly guy, and he goes, well, I guess you're wondering who the guy was that voted against you. That's how he started the conversation. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I really didn't care, but I guess I know now. <laughs> he said, yep. I said, it is me. I don't like you. I didn't want you. But you're here. That was the conversation. And, uh, right? <laughs> I said, I didn't do anything to earn his trust or, or take it away. I just, that's where I started out. We'll come to find out. The guy before him, the guy before me, uh, had, had crossed him. And so he was just, it didn't matter who it was in that seat, he was just going to be mad at him and vote against him just because he was. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was not until his son got arrested and I was the first one to go to the jail to visit his son that I turned that relationship around. I always look for the hardest nut in the room to crack. You start there, everything else downhill. And even if they never like me, I'm never going to give them a reason to not like me. That's just the way I, that's the way I approach it. And uh, some of those hardest nuts are now some of my dearest friends. So uh, they just needed somebody to trust, and I had to earn it. You got to earn it. That's just all there is to it. And it didn't matter. They don't care how much experience you've got. Now, if, they, if you don't have experience, they'll use that on you for a long time until you got experience. So that, that's just part of it. That's just part of the deal. Sort of like being a rookie in the league. You know what I'm saying? You just, they're going to pick on the rookie to, until the rookie hits a home run. Then they're going to go, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> but fearful leaders, the reason that they're so dangerous in the church is because they leave an indelible mark on hearts of people that whoever sits in that chair can't leave. They don't know what they're doing. And so, um, also fearful leaders, what they will do is they'll go now to the next position and do the same thing. And everywhere they go, they leave carnage. Because they are scared to make a decision. And I want to tell you, if you live your life as a leader to please people, you're going to end up disappointed every time. There is only one thing that you need to concern yourself with, and that is, I follow after the Lord, I listen to His voice, and I love His people. If that's all you've got to Pleasing the Lord is, is enough. Because there are people that will never be pleased. They probably are in your church. Some of them. I've got I've got a billion stories in leadership. We go around the room and share these stories about people that have come against us. You know, it's like, what did I do? Right? And uh, y'all remember uh, Charles Standing when he first went to First Atlanta, and he he made a stand early there in a business meeting. A guy came up on the stage and punched him in the face. Did y'all know that? Mm -hmm. Charles Stanley. Charles Stinking Stanley. <laughs> right? So don't think that you're the only person that suffered a little for the cause of the God. But look at what God did. He just stood his ground. And he wasn't even, he's not a, he's not a mean-spirited person. Every one of us have got those stories. 
But if I, if we react to everybody's disapproval, um, we'll end up being a fearful leader. Now, the last leader is the one that we should try to be. All right, and that's the shepherd leader. The shepherd leader. If you'll read uh, John chapter 10, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, you're going to see some very strong characteristics of what his leadership style was. Western shepherd, Eastern shepherd, it's kind of different. We're a Western culture, and what we think is we get behind the people with the staff and drive them. We've got, we got to make them go, Right? The Eastern Shepherd did not stand behind his flock. He went before his flock. And um, I'm going to read this to you. This is a little blog I wrote. Fearful leaders, I mean, I'm sorry. Let me go. Fearful, I'm going to read the fearful. Fearful leaders are an interesting study in human behavior. The fearful leader will stand and give a vision to the organization and wait to hear the response of those he leads. When he gets the feedback, he, ex he, accesses the, uh, he assesses the risk and then goes back and changes the original vision. This sounds pretty reasonable, right? The problem here is that when the fearful leader changes the original vision, he then listens to the critics and returns to his organization and get with yet another plan. Most often, the fearful leader does, not, does this behavior repeatedly until no one is following. By the way, if no one's following, you're not the leader. Just saying. You turn around and nobody's following, you're not the leader. Fearful leader will not rock the boat, and most often, after seeing that no one wants to follow his plan, will just settle into being satisfied with the status quo. This type of leader will end up having a survival mentality and works to keep his job instead of working to build the kingdom. If you ever find yourself making a decision based on, will this help me keep my job, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, as older guys, if we make a decision based on just holding on till the end, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Go out in a blaze. Go big or go home. But don't, don't make decisions based on Will this help me keep my job? It's just never, it's never productive. And it's always self-serving. Shepherd leader is the type of leader that Jesus taught us to be. In the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus gives us this picture of leadership. The shepherd is committed to his sheep and will lay down his life for them. He stands guard over them and protects them from those who would try to hurt his sheep. The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The shepherd le uh, leader gives direction, turns around, starts down the path of vision. The shepherd and the sheep know his voice and trust that he cares for them so that they will follow him knowing that their leader has their best interests at heart. He goes first and makes sure that the pathway is clear and will not continue down a path that would lead the organization into destruction. When the leader stops, the people following will stop. If danger lies ahead, the leader will either adjust the course or warn the people of the dangers ahead. 
When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, He said, the sheep will know my voice. How will the sheep know your voice? The sheep know your voice because you build relational equity with them. You know, I, I was in this church for a long time. And, and in fact, every church that I've ever been in, and I got stopped at the mall or at the grocery store, and, and Sister Sally goes, this is Pastor Ray. And she never said, boy, you ought to hear the, the message he preached this week, or boy, you ought to hear the song he sang this week. You know what she says? When Mama was sick, he came to the hospital to see Mama. When Daddy died, he did the funeral. When my child was in trouble, he came to our house and talked to us. That, that, that's what I'm talking about, relational equity. I'm not talking about slapping back and kissing babies at the church. I'm talking about investing your life in your sheep so that they'll know your voice. And, and by the way, you don't have to holler at your sheep. They know your voice when you talk to them because you're their friend. I got a text last night, really late, from one of my former members. And she said, this is what she said. She said, I know you've been gone for a year, said, but you, you know you're still my pastor. I wrote her back and said, well, not really, but I am your friend. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You lead people through attaining relational equity. And some of them are going to reject you no matter what. It really has nothing to do with you. It probably has to do with what's going on in their lives and what's, what they've been through personally. And they pull up the walls so that they don't get close to anybody anymore. <clears throat> but I don't care if you're leading the choir or if you're leading a church or if you're leading an organization if you have not built relational equity with those people that you are with, they're not going to trust you when it comes down to it. Um, I had a large staff that I, I worked with. I could not disciple 1,500 people in the worship ministry, nor could I disciple the 28,000 members that we had in the church. But I could disciple those leaders in my circle. And so I would, on a regular basis, leave my office, go to their office, pull up a chair, sit down, and this is what I would say. How's your husband doing? How's your wife doing? How are your kids doing? And I knew their names. I knew what grade they were in. knew what school they were in. Knew if they were playing baseball. Knew if they were singing in the choir. I knew them. And they knew me. Okay? Now, I did that every week. Not to every one of the 18 that were full-time on staff, but every week I, I would pick out three or four and I would go and just sit down with them. And I never asked them to do anything. I didn't evaluate their job. I, I nothing. And I might say, hey, man, you, you were awesome Sunday or whatever, but 
I, we didn't talk about work. We talked about them. And because when you build that kind of relationship, they go, he cares about me. And when it comes time for me to do the ask, it's like, they're going to go, he cares about me. He's going to do things that I can do. He's going to ask me to do things I can do. And he's going to ask me to do them well because it's for the betterment of the vision. Another thing about the Good Shepherd is, and it doesn't really, you, you've got to look at the scripture to, 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 to see this, but the Good Shepherd does not <clears throat> even call himself a leader. <clears throat> My daddy told me uh, one time years ago, he said, Son, if you have to tell him you're the boss, you're not. Mm-hmm. You, you hear people say, I'm the boss here. Right. <laughs> I ain't the boss. The reason they're telling you that is because they want to be the boss, but they ain't the boss. Uh, I've heard that so many times. I'm going to have to play the pastor card here. Oh, uh, there it is. Oh. I'm, like, I'm like, you've run out of this card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, deck is, that deck's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so when, 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 when you have to say that or pull that, yeah. you really aren't the leader. You really aren't. So... Now, there are times where you have to make a decision as a leader, but you don't have to, you don't have to pull out the, the big gun and go, all right, well, I'm the boss. I'm gonna, this is what we're doing. You just, you just have to you look at your people and you say, okay, I've listened to all the input, and this is what I feel we need to do. So here's, here's what we're going to do. The shepherd leader takes credit for the failures. that passes praise to the people in the organization, in the organization. You say, well, that's not even really healthy. That's not honest. No, it is honest. Because ultimately, as a leader, we need to own it when we fail. When your organization fails, you need to own it. Now, privately, when there was a failure, privately, I would go to the person over that particular thing and we would we would evaluate what happened how did this had this happen and we would fix it privately you never call out your people publicly like in a, in a staff meeting like if the youth director did something wrong you don't say in front of the whole staff man you are screwing up don't do it can't get it back. You can't get that back. So you go privately. And if you think about it, Matthew 18 teaches that, right? Mm-hmm. If you got an offense against a brother, you go to the brother and y'all work it out. Now if you can't work it out, then there's other measures. But Matthew 18 wasn't given so that you can fire people or, or rip them out of your Rolodex, okay? Anybody have a Rolodex in it? <laughs> Dude, I've been, I've, been, I've been producing records for 30 years. So <laughs> my kids go, records. <laughs> so, but I, the, the idea of Matthew 18, all along, if you look at it, is restoration. Confrontation should lead to restoration. Not Confrontation should not lead to expulsion. The reason you have hard conversations so you can be restored and you can take ground back. 
So, to me, um, in a in a in a meeting of my staff, if there was a failure on the weekend, we could talk about it. But I never put blame on anybody. We could talk about it. But if I knew that there was one person that failed. I would privately confront them and say, hey, okay, this happened. We know this. We know what happened. Let's, let's fix this. Let's, let's, let's pull this back together. And so when you take the credit for the failure, it says to your team, it says to your team, he's not a blame caster. He is a leader that wants my support. That's all it says to me. So, um, but it says the sheep know my voice. That means there's relationship. It also says that the shepherd, the good shepherd, is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And that's that idea that I was trying to write, and that that the shepherd, once they know your voice, you don't have to turn around and scream at them and say, "Come on, come on, come on!" You go. Hey guys, we're going this way. And the good shepherd turns his face toward the vision and he begins down that path. He doesn't have to turn around and see if the sheep are following him. He knows they are. Why? Because he's in relationship with them. And by the way, the sheep will do a lot of the managing themselves. Because if some, some other sheep in, in, in following help put the armor on, so come on. Why do they do that? Because they trust the leader. But here's our job. We have to clear the path. We've got, we've got to do some of the heavy lifting out front. We, we've got to, we may have to blaze the trail, right? If there's danger ahead, we need to recognize it, keeping our eyes on the vision, and either adjust the course around the danger, or warn the sheep there is danger ahead and if you're a senior pastor you can do that from the pulpit you can you can take the scripture and you can go there's a dangerous thing ahead and this is what scripture says about it you see don't use the pulpit to beat your people up use your pulpit to train your people for the battle don't use the pulpit for your own private place of expressing your frustration. Express that frustration to the Lord. Get a word from God that addresses the issue and help your people through the issue. Love them through it. The, the, the thing that as, as, a, as a leader that, that I often did was in those private conversations I would ask this question. First of all, I always had an open door. If you, if you worked with me or on my team, uh, I didn't. I didn't close my door to you. And the only person, I mean, the only way that you didn't get into the office right when you walked there is if I had someone already in the office. But I would stop what I was doing to address the issue. Always, my door was always open. Um, 
If I, if I had something particular that I needed to be isolated for, I didn't come to the church office. If I was studying for something, if I was writing, if I was, if I was, if I was, I had a place where I went to pray that, that didn't have nothing to do with my office. I did pray in my office, but that, that wasn't my prayer place. <coughs> so, um, I would, would often say to my people, I'd go to their office, I'd look them up and say, okay, scale of one to ten, how am I doing as your leader? And they'd say, well, you're about a six right now. I'd say, okay, well, tell, tell me what you think might I do to help you to be a better leader for you. That's a scary question. <laughs> That's a scary question. But you know what? When I had a relational equity with them, they would say, they would be kind, but they would say, hey dude, you're ignoring this area and you, you, we need you to, to help us. And I'd say, you know what? Point well taken. I'd go back, I'd write it down, Sometimes I've even discussed what do you what do you think specifically? Um, I, I remember one time we we had four hundred children in children's choirs. That's a nightmare. <laughs> That's a nightmare. And uh, the priest and the children's choir person said to me, um, "Well, you're not leading us." I said, "Well, tell me tell me what." I said, "Well, you know." What's one be good if you just showed up in the in in the rehearsals? We had ten rehearsals going on at the same time, okay. And uh, so I said, okay, no. So I just started. I do two this week, two the next week. All I did was go in the door and say, hey, y'all, how you doing? Good to see you. Teacher would always say, Pastor Ray's here, and thank you, Pastor Ray, for letting us do this and blah blah blah. And I'm just like. It was that simple. They just needed my presence. They didn't, they didn't need me to be in charge of the meeting. They just needed my presence. And because I knew that they were doing a great job, I had stopped going to check on them. And so I, I did that. I had a, another, uh, I, I was, I, I had a very diverse staff, uh, both uh, generationally and ethnically and uh, very diverse and uh, but I had a, an older leader um, who was Hispanic and um, I asked him I said how am I doing as a leader he goes well not really very good for me I said well tell me what's going on he said well it's just some, sometimes when you talk to me it's like I, I feel like you don't value me. I said, really? I said, well, I don't feel that way. I said, I'm sorry that that, that come off like that. And, uh, but you see, he had, he had grown up in San Antonio. There's a very strong racial bias against Mexicans. Okay? Strong. And, uh, and so he had, he had a wound. And when somebody didn't talk to him a certain way, it, it hit that wound. And so I said, can you remember like something I said to you or some instance? And he called up immediately, called up the thing that started him down this path of thinking I didn't care about him. I said, man, that, that was just sarcasm on my part. And 
sarcasm sometimes just gets out of control, especially over here in the music area. And I said, I'm really sorry. So, because I want you to know, I would have never hired you if I didn't like you. And I certainly wouldn't have had you here for 10 years if you weren't doing an effective job. And so I had to fix it by just saying, I'm sorry. Do you know saying I'm sorry? It's just a, I was, I'm sorry I was wrong. Those are important words. It wasn't malicious on my part. It was careless on my part. And uh, it was really kind of a dumb thing, but to him it wasn't. Because he was wounded. Because he, he was a minority, and he had been, especially as a child, had been abused as a minority. And so I knew that would be tender. But we're like best friends. He's at another church serving, uh, and doing a fabulous job, and, uh, and we still hang out. So uh, we fixed it. See, the shepherd, the shepherd has this attitude of protection, care, love, and purpose. See, as the shepherd, I'm taking my people to a place. And that, that's, that's why I was uh, going through this on Monday night, getting ready for this. And, and God just took me to Psalm 23. You know, I've, I've preached Psalm 23, and you have too, for a thousand funerals. And we, we you probably, I, I, I did a, a, a Bible study and I, where I, I, I did a study all the way through the book of Psalms. It took me three and a half years. They were slow learners. Um, just kidding. But if you know this song, I want you to think about it from the perspective of being the shepherd, okay? The leader, the shepherd leader. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? He makes sure that we do not have lack for anything. You know, that's His promise to us. <coughs> I will provide all your needs according to my riches and glory. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The green pasture uh, shows that He didn't put you in a dry place, a bad place. It's a, it's a lush place. He, he makes you to lie down. What does that mean? He makes sure that you understand it's important to rest. Listen to me. As a leader, this is something we, we miss often. We miss the fact that we've got to rest. We've got to rest. If you don't rest, my daddy used to say, son, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. He's talking about the Scripture said Jesus came apart. He, I mean, he went to retreat. Even Jesus needed it. All right? You, so you need Jesus. So you need it. You need it. He needed it. You needed it more. Green Pasture shows his desire for us to feel safe and have peace and rest. You, you, you ever, ever, as a leader, do you ever sometimes just have a sustained feeling of uneasiness? That's a danger sign. That's a red flag. You've got to throw the flag and go, there's something that needs to change here. Uh, I had this place that I go pray in San Antonio. And you'd judge me if, you, if I told you where it was. But... Um, 
It was at a Catholic monastery. Don't write me, I don't care what you think. <laughs> you know, I went there, it was quiet, it was peaceful, it was beautiful. Nobody booed me. I still go there right now. It's my place. And when I get that uneasy, anxious feeling, that's where I go. You gotta have a place, all right? Could be a lake, could be, well, I don't, I don't care. It just needs to be a place where you and Jesus can get together and nobody interrupts you. And by the way, you can turn, there's an on-off switch on your cell phone. Say. He restores my soul. What does that mean? He is the kind of shepherd that encourages me. He's the kind of shepherd that brings life into me. He restores my soul. Listen, we all need restoration. We, we can't give, 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 give and think that we can continue that pace. And my pastor at 58 stopped preaching because he had nothing left. Don't be that. Don't, don't go there. <clears throat> he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does that mean? He sets a good example. You know that what you do speaks louder than what you say. You, you know that what you do validates what you say. And if your life don't match, match your lips, people ain't going to listen. And they shouldn't. And I'm not saying we should live sinless perfection. Lord Jesus, I had four boys. Ooh. Raised four boys. Alright? Yeah. I may have lost my temper a time or two. <laughs> yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing, no evil, for thou art with me. Here is two huge premises of your leadership. Do not make your people fear. Eliminate that fear factor in their life. They should not fear your leadership. They should respect you as a person. But they shouldn't fear you. You know? I, I've seen... Uh, I, I coached ball for 21 years. Basketball. And, uh, um, the funny thing about coaching is that the kids that I coach, I was, many of them, I was their pastor, but they never called me pastor. It just speaks to that level of depth of respect they have for that name, Coach, by the way. I was, in, I was, I was driving to Houston the other day, stopped at a place to get some tea and, and uh, a barbecue sandwich and in a town, Seguin, which is outside of San Jose, and across the room I said, I heard, Hey, Coach! And it just made me giggle. It was one of my boys that I coached 15 years ago. He's a grown man. I've seen coaches coach with fear. If you ever, I, I, I've been coached by somebody who made me fearful of them. You know? But I don't respect them now. You know the coach I... I've, I've been watching <coughs> baseball. The coach I love is that coach calls timeout and they've got him mic'd up on this Little League World Series and he'll come and he said, man, 
you are a great hitter. And you're on this team because you're a great hitter. And uh, we're in a real tight spot right now, but I believe in you. This is this, you're hearing this on national TV, and he's just exhorting that kid, exhorting mm -hmm. that kid, exhorting that kid, you know, and building him up. And the kid goes up there and, and, and strikes out. And the coach rushes to that kid at the end of the inning. He says, hey, man, we're going to get him next time. He said, that was a really good pitch. You just did this. But, hey, I believe in you. That's what this verse is saying. They, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. See, the deal is, if you're their leader, you've got to be with them. I never asked anybody to do something I wasn't willing to help them do. Personally, help them do. I'm not an electrician, but I can hold your ladder. I can hand you a tool. I can help you tote stuff. I can be with you. That's all we're looking for. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's an interesting deal right there. As a, as a leader, you hold the staff. And it, it's the position what the staff is. Okay. But you would think the rod was something you used to discipline, severe discipline, right? It was used on me. I need it. It says, I rod and I staff comfort me. It's really interesting. If you've had children, you'll understand this. If you ever spanked your children, you didn't. It's okay. I had four boys. We didn't beat them. We spanked them. Did you ever notice how when your kids going down this path, and this is the last point, and you just uh, we'd bring them in, we'd put them across the bed, made them put, put their hands up, and we pop them on the rear three times. God put that on there for a purpose. And uh, did you ever notice how? After you spank your child and you and you love on them, how it just completely changes them. I mean, they just it's just like it breaks that cycle, and then they they start. And I always would hug and love my kids, kiss on them after I spanked them. I never put them in their room by themselves and say, "You think about that," you know. I, you know, they already thought about it. My, my 27 year old one day, I was, he was just acting up so bad. I took him to his room, spanked him, and he said, and he's, he's, a, he's a cerebral kid. My wife is an airline pilot, okay, so she's brilliant. I know. How'd you get that? I don't know. <laughs> the Lord. Uh, anyway, but uh, she was a U.S. Air Force pilot. She was an instructor pilot in the Air Force as a woman. So, you girls, yeah, she's bad in the bone. <laughs> But he's real cerebral, this kid. Benjamin goes, he looks at me and said, Daddy, can I say something? He, was, he always had a reason. <laughs> I'm not sure. He said, You know when you spank somebody? He got his hands up like it. You really don't have to hit them that hard. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't have to hit them that hard. I said, I'll keep that. <laughs> How you know when you spank somebody with that rod? 
you don't have to have them very hard. Sometimes you have to have hard conversations, right? Your physician demands that of you. But you don't have to have them hard. You just have to tap them and let them know. We've got to change this direction. But it's interesting that it says, the shepherd says, the rod and the staff comfort me. Once you've had the hard conversation and you've loved on them, then there's comfort in that. And they trust your leadership even more. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He feeds you. The shepherd feeds his flock good times and bad. Do you hear me? You feed them. And you feed them good food. And you feed them consistently. Whether it's good times or bad. Because they need the spiritual nutrition that comes from the impartation of the Word of God. They need it. I need it. You need it. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. He points them and leads them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, um, God called me to ministry during the middle of a great movement of the Spirit. It was called the Jesus Movement. It's in the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, there was phenomenal things happening on the face of the earth. and it, Whether you realize it or not, you, you, you are impacted daily by some of the things that God did during those seasons. Okay, and I am totally uh, impacted by that. We we started a coffee house. We 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 talked our pastor into renting us this building downtown in our city, and it wasn't a big town, but we had a lot of hippies and a lot of druggies, and then we every Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, we we uh, had a little band and we played our little Jesus music with our bell-bottom britches and platform shoes. And, uh, and we served uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Delaware Punch at Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week and um, for about two and a half hours. And every druggie and homeless and hippie person in the, in, the, in the city, in the region, started coming there because it was a place to hang out that was safe. And some of them were, were high when they got there, you know. Which was kind of funny because when you open a peanut butter jelly sandwich in black lights, peanut butter's green. <laughs> so if you're on drugs and you open the sandwich and it's green, it smells like peanut butter. There's some great, great wow. <laughs> but we were praying for people and people were getting saved. And, and we were just teenagers. We didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. And we didn't know the word deliverance. We, I, you know, we had no idea, and, but we would pray for people that, that, that God would get them off drugs, and they were being delivered. And it's like it was supernatural stuff going on, and we were so innocent, had no idea. But the the thing is, we we took these people to our church, and our church rejected them. Mm -hmm. You want to know why charismatic movement really flourished during those days? Not because of the theology. Because they would take those people. Just saying. I didn't mean to indict anybody, just saying. 
We've got to point people to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. We've got to stop being scared of that. You know, you can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin. You know that Jesus left you here, left the Holy Spirit, to comfort you, to guide you, to strengthen you, to give you wisdom, to fill you with gifts. We're instructed in the Scripture, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. Be filled. It's a mandate. Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to stop pushing back. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you have bad theology. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means you're being filled continually according to that Scripture. Be ye continually being filled. That's what it says with the Holy Spirit. If you're not praying and asking the Lord to fill you on a daily basis, you're probably leaking and you're empty. That's where I start. When I go to that place where it's just me and Jesus, I take the dipstick and check out if I've got anything left. Most of the time I'll pull it up and it's dry. You need that oil of the Spirit to anoint you, to be in you, to fill you. Alright. My cup runneth over. You know that He doesn't just give you some, He gives you all. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days. You see, that's the result of a good leader. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Don't you want that? That's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want you to look at those three things that you wrote down as good leaders and see if a good leader that you have written down has the characteristics of a shepherd. I want you to look at the bad leader and I want to see if those three things that you wrote down might be either an autocratic or fearful leader. And we've got about 10 minutes. And I wonder, is there a question that you wrote down we have not answered? For those of us that are not the senior pastor and that lack shepherd characteristics, right. how can we lovingly facilitate change? What I say, I served in, in a, a subservient role. Most of us have served in the, a subservient role at some point. Some of you now are, are the lead pastor or senior pastor. Um, and so, um, but what I always did and what I found effective, and if it wasn't effective, I, I wasn't able to stay. Okay? And that, that's not, I'm not telling you. Not, I'm not telling you to leave. I'm just saying uh, what I always did was I started by loving on him and his family. Mm-hmm. Because my pastor would never listen to me if he didn't believe that I had his back. If he didn't believe that I genuinely loved him and was genuinely supportive of him, loyal to him. You know, I never hired anybody without saying these words. Before I hire you on the staff, I need you to know there's two things. 
that I will immediately release you from your position. Four. One, if you ever lied to me. Two, if you're ever disloyal to me. Because those two things, integrity and loyalty, build trust. So I am, um, that's where I would start. Some of you senior pastors might speak into this. What would what if you if if you had a, a, a staff member that was uh, not uh, who needed to approach you? What would, what would be the best way for them to approach? You? Come on. I think what you said is spot on. About um, you got to be in. You got to figure out how to be in their life. And care for them. I think is I think that is so true because I, I you know because sometimes there's thing other things that are going on that you don't know about. Yep. That you don't and just by building that relationship, sometimes you're able to carry some of those things with them. Um, you know, here's a simple thing. So coming in today, I, I wasn't able to come yesterday because I was announcing football game last night. So the rest of the staff came up yesterday. They got all their stuff and everything. So when I came in, I saw a couple people that I knew from Georgia Baptist. And Reber, Jay Reber, our associate pastor, well, he immediately, he goes, gets my name tag, gets all my stuff, brings it over to me, and hands it to me, and I don't, even, I don't have to go in the line. I didn't ask that. I didn't expect that. I didn't anything. But that simple little thing says he was thinking how he can help. And um, and those are the little things that uh, you know that I think make a big difference. Yes. I, I've been on the other side as well. I mean, I've, I've been senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever you call that. Anyway, for about five years now. And the guy before me, uh, close to him, it was it was much of a struggle and tried everything we could, we got very real with each other going, you know, something's different, how can I help or whatever. At the end of the day, there's only so much you can do, okay? And and if they're not gonna receive that, you can't you can't force that. But I'm just telling you, the, the loyalty thing is, is a big thing because, man, we live in a world where nobody trusts anybody anymore. Yeah, that is so true. And, and so, because, Here's my fear. You confide in somebody. What? Who are they going to tell? What are they going to right. say? All that kind of stuff. And well, they'll say that. All right. And so, I think one of the greatest things. I, I love your idea of going and sitting in the office and taking five or ten minutes and talking with people and that kind of stuff. But here's what be the thing is, I challenge them, how. Let's go away as a staff. Let's do something as a staff fun today, and say. And I, I figured out. Hey, we can go to the bowling alley for an hour. And let's go up there and do something like that. And if you take charge of that, I think that's where in providing those moments because, and it's in those moments that you're able to talk and be in each other's life and, and be real with each other. Yeah. So that's that would be some things that I would look. But I'm just I'm just telling you what what Jay did for Jay Reaver did for me this morning. I mean that's again that was two seconds out of his life, but it made a big difference for me, and that makes that makes me love him, trust him, believe in him. And I know he's loyal that way. So it is those little things that, yeah. that make a difference. Anybody else? I, I don't know how to speak exactly from that point of view, but as a uh, as a pastor, my whole life, my biggest influence in my life was my grandfather. Yeah. And um, I kind of, if there's something I admired about him that I bring into my ministry, is he was always approachable for me. 
no matter where I stood in life, I knew I could approach him and, and he would, whatever, even if I was wrong, he would take me in and listen to me. So anytime somebody comes to me about anything, I just try to be approachable so they know they can talk to me and not know that I'll cast a judgment before they can give me what I want to, you know, what they're going to tell me. So that's just been big in my life through, through a, as a lost man growing, I seen a man that was so approachable. And, it, and I always wondered what that was, and it was, it, he got that from God. Yeah. God's approachable. Yeah. Jesus was pretty approachable, wasn't he? That's right. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I would think being approachable is very, uh, a good quality, good skill. That's a good word. John Maxwell wrote two of the books he wrote, Developing the Leader Within You and Developing the Leaders Around You. Those are two great books. Yes, they are. That if you want some practical things of, especially that with Developing Leaders Around You, those are two great resources uh, that I think address some of those things as well. Awesome. Is there any questions that you would like to have answered before we leave this room? Do you have an intentional program or whatever I've done, a program or process for discovering and building new leaders in your local church and in your community. What does that, going back to intentionality yeah. you mentioned earlier, so what does that intentionally look like? Well, uh, first and foremost, it has to be a part of your vision. Okay? It's got to be a part of your vision. Um, if it's not a part of your vision, you need to make it part of your vision because we are responsible to train up the next generation of leaders. That, that, is, that is a part of your calling. Whether you accept it or not, it is a part of your calling. Because somehow, someway, someplace, we've got to identify and then invest. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, it starts with, I have ministries that are inclusive. So I gather lots of people in, in each, 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 each ministry, and I observe those ministries. And you know that leaders lead. It doesn't matter what room you're in. Mm -hmm. you, you're, if you don't believe me, go down to the Little League Baseball or go down to, a, to a, watch a, a children's uh, soccer game or whatever, and it's not five minutes before you know who the leader is on that team. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the coach. I'm, not, I'm talking about the student. <clears throat> So when you're inclusive, you get the herd, okay? And then as you observe, within the context of, of that room, leaders are going to lead. Now some of them act out. They're bad. They're bad people. I mean, like they, they, they're causing trouble. And the reason they're causing trouble is because they're not charged. <laughs> so, but, but leaders lead. And so that's what we did. Like I told you, we had 400 children in children's choir. You know why we had children's choir? It's not because it was fun. It's not because it was easy. We had children's choir because we, our main concern was we wanted to train up the next generation of worshipers. In other words, we wanted to put into them what worship was because it's critical in the life of the church. But we were identifying worship leaders. And by the time they were in the 6th or 7th grade, they were literally leading on stage in front of thousands of people doing the transitions. Y'all don't know anything about my ministry, but that was the whole, th the whole point of our ministry. Is that, number one, provide an environment where God was welcome. 
I was our number one goal, our number two goal, train up the next generation of leadership. That was it. So it's got to be part of your vision. It's got to be intentional. It starts by being inclusive so that you can identify. And once you identify, then you pour into it. And um, uh, the program of pouring into was a little different for me because I was training up uh, worship leaders, but I wanted to be ministers as well. I, I literally would take young men with me, uh, young men and women. I would never take a, a young girl by herself, but I would take them with me to do ministry things, and I would take them to go help me lead conferences and all that kind of stuff, but I would also take them to do hospital visits. Mm -hmm. Now, these are the older teenagers, uh, young, uh, young adults. I mean, I just brought them with me because it's sort of more caught than taught anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, and it was not convenient. It was not easy to do that. But once again, that word intentional is, what, what is, what is, if it's in your vision, then you've got to make, you've got to make room for it. You have to shut other things down. My pastor, when I surrendered to ministry, called me the next week and said, Every Sunday morning at 8.30, Sunday school started at 9.30, I want you, and there's another kid that just surrendered ministry, I want you and this other kid, I want y'all to show up in my office. And for an hour, we, he would pray. He trained us how to be soul winners. He personally made us memorize the Roman road. and Then he took us out visiting, intentional visiting. Like, we would go soul winning. It was Money. I mean, all of those things. Now, he did that for us, and it, it, it he never it never seemed inconvenient to him. Like I never thought it was an inconvenience to him, but he poured his life into me. Something you shared with the musicians the other day, I thought answered uh, partially what Jay's talking about uh, about the the sequential steps you do. They watch. Oh, okay. Okay. Do, I, I, okay. Yeah. Keep, keep it's going. the four. It's, it's, it's the four. You know this. Mm -hmm. The shapes. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. You. The first one is invitation. Right. You do. They watch. You do. They help. You always give them something to do that, that they, they they know. Right. They do. You help. Mm -hmm. And then the last is they do and you watch. And that's uh, that was the Jesus method of uh, right. disciple. That's good stuff. I wish I'd have thought of it. <laughs> Most good stuff's not original. Oh, no. I, got it. I used to tell my pastors, as soon as you preach better sermons, so will I. <laughs> <laughs> I heard one guy go, I'll preach better sermons when uh, either Josh McDowell or whoever he got his stuff from. <laughs> whoever he got his stuff from. <laughs> Well, it's a bit of a delight to share with you. And, uh, Can I ask one more question? Yes, I don't mean to. No, no, me, but no. You say you got multiple books. If you had to recommend three things to read on leadership, what would those be? First one is John, John chapter 10. <laughs> the Maxwell books that you that you said are were formative for me. In fact, more than just those two. That Maxwell books. Um, there's a little book, and I'm, 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 you're, you're, I'm, I'm going to call this up. Um, 
God help me remember who wrote it. The, the book is a, a little bitty book. It's called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And you said, what's that got to do with leadership? Read the book. Read the book. Now, what many leaders do is they become abusers. And they use they, they clouded spiritual terminology. <coughs> That's probably one you don't know. And you, you have to look it up. And I, I wish, I really wish in this moment right now I could remember who wrote it. But Google will figure it out. Right. Yes, sir. Ask Siri. She knows it. <laughs> Except how to get to this <laughs> She did miss that one pretty bad. David Johnson. Huh? David Johnson. David Johnson. Subtle power of spiritual abuse. Now, now the guy, I don't agree with all his theology, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now. But the guy is spot on. And it, it's like a warning to our hearts. Because God, when God puts us in, 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 in leadership, we have to be careful. Y'all good? Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I speak blessing on every person in this room. And Lord, I speak blessing upon the people that they lead. I pray, God, that you would infuse them with wisdom of how to lead in whatever position they find themselves in. I pray, God, that you would thwart the plans of the enemy to distract, destroy, discourage, and bring them to despair. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, you would release within the power of the Holy Spirit to be creative, to be loving, to be um, uh, filled and and um, uh, with the knowledge of your word and your will. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would bring joy into their life, that you would restore the peace in their spirit, and that you would give them confidence that they can follow after you. And if they do, they will lead in the correct way. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that you are our good shepherd. And we are listening now to your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Bless you. Bless you.